Uh, the last three weeks, we've been talking about missions. Um, if you guys haven't picked one of these up, they're right there in that center uh, table as you guys come in. Pick one of these up. This is a list of all of our missionaries. Uh, we've had a lot come out. We've got Chris Kinnis, which is right back there, if you guys want to talk to him, with Deuce Outfitters. Um, we've got a few for you today. And if you're wondering who our missionaries are or what they're about, we've got all their names, we've got all their information. And then right over here, we have our QR code, which you can just scan that, and um, it'll bring you right to their website. Check them out, who they are and what they're about, and get to know them because they love to connect with you. They love to know that you're out there praying for them, communicating with them, giving those helpful hints, helpful those, um, just, <laughs> just talking with them on a regular basis that just encourage them to continue to do their work. So with that note, we're going to listen to Jerry and Joyce McDaniels. Give them a round of applause. And they're going to talk to us about what they do. Hey, James. Hey, we're glad to be with you today. We're Jerry and Joyce McDaniels. We're with Ethnos 360. We're your missionaries and have been for many, many years. Uh, we're the international literacy coordinators for the organization, and so that means we get to travel all over the world. To date, we've worked in 35 countries around the world, and we've lost track of how many languages that we've helped people put um, a, a literacy course together um, for them. But, you know, our, our ministry started years ago. We were kids living out in the jungle. I don't know if we can put a picture up there, but you'll see the, the village that we lived in. We were 24 when we moved into the village, and um, we moved into this village, we learned the language and we learned the culture of the people, and our job was to plant a church, and so that's what we did. We, um, we, we saw this young church come into being, and I don't know if you've ever had the chance to to be there at the birth of a new church, but it was, it was absolutely amazing. And so we lived in that little village, and, and, and we, had, we were translating Bible lessons to teach the, the believers, the new believers. Our Wycliffe co-workers were translating the Bible, but very soon we realized there was an issue. We could translate all the lessons we wanted. They could translate the Bible, but unless we had people that could read with, with understanding, it was useless. And so we started teaching literacy, and out of that grew the ministry that we have right now. And uh, it was really fun. We saw this church come into being. We saw the, the believers discipled. But then we had to leave the village because of contingency issues. Three of our co-workers were taken hostage by a, a terrorist group and, and martyred. We had two more years in the village until they started coming in to look for us, and we had to leave. But we left the village, not the believers. And after we left the, the village, the river, the, the village upriver, it's a larger village than ours, came to the church where we were at. And uh, they told the church leaders they wanted to learn how to read and write in their language too. And the church leader said, that's great. We'll also teach you about Jesus. And they said, we don't want to know about Jesus. We just want to know how to read and write our language. And so the church there in the village uh, sent out a young couple as literacy teachers, um, the man and his wife and their two little ones were sent from the church. The church prayed for them, just like you see in the book of Acts, and they sent them out to be literacy teachers in this next village upriver. Um, well, they went for literacy. That was the purpose, but God had some other things in mind. But just like the Apostle Paul, it didn't happen without some very serious hardships. And so this young couple would travel back and forth upriver to this village, and they would, um, sometimes the husband would be there, sometimes together. So the husband went upriver with a group of people, and a few days later, the wife traveled up to that same village with the two younger kids 
And that's where the story will take place today. I'd like to tell you my testimony, what God's done. My husband and I, we work in, a, in, a, in an interior village for God. My husband and went up river, then a few days later, my, me and my two young kids and some others started up the river. There was a flood. Our canoe flipped over. We all actually, you know, went underwater. We went underwater. I was holding tightly to my young son. I held him as tight as I could, but this was a flash flood, and, and I, lost, I lost grip of him. We looked and we looked, but we could never find him. Two days later, we actually found him. He had drowned. I can't even begin to explain to you the pain, the hurt that was in our heart. We're in this village, we're working to serve God, and, and this happens to us? And on top of all of that, then the village chiefs call to us. I want you to understand in that village where we, work, we were working, there were no believers at the time. And they yelled at us and they said, it's your fault that your young son drowned in. The spirits are angry at you because you've not been following the traditional trail. Instead, you've been following what that book tells you to do. The book, obviously, is the Bible. That night, my husband and I together, we just cried our hearts out. We were hurting. We began to think it would be better if we just threw in the towel, that we didn't do this no, no more, that we just, we just went home. But that night we also opened God's word. And we read and God talked to us. Through God's written word we were reminded that there's nobody here that knows anything about Jesus. And his word told us again anew and afresh that we needed to talk to these people about Christ. And because of what God's word had to say, we chose not to leave that work. Little by little, God worked. People learned to read. But I'd like to tell you that today in that village, there is actually a large church. It was after that time, she said, we went out and saw our white friends, and she's referring to us. We told our white friends, you know how much we absolutely love you. You taught us the best thing in all the world, God's truths. 
But in the middle of that night when our, we were grieving our son's death, seeing this work that nobody wanted us, your words, she said, were not enough. It was only God's word that was enough to get us through. And she said to us, thank you so much for teaching us how to read and how to write in our language. Listen up. I have to be honest. Um, you want to know why we do literacy? That's why we do it. Do you realize creator God could have chosen any form in all the world to reveal himself to us? But he did it in a written form. You and I are coming to church later. We're going to hear what God's doing. And, 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 and he's turned to this passage, turn to this passage, turn to this passage. Imagine if you couldn't read. That's why we're doing literacy, and we're excited about it. We thank you guys for praying with us, for giving. Join us. There's some cards out in the lobby. Pick one up. Put it in a place you're going to see it. For some of you, it'll be right by the coffee maker. For some of you, it'll be by the smoothie maker. I'm not sure why, but you put it there. Some of you, maybe you just need to put it in the refrigerator. Some of you right there on the on the weights, okay? Just put it right there so as you're pressing it, you see our face. Maybe don't do that. But wherever, pray with us because this thing of literacy is so absolutely vital. We mature, we get to know God as we read his word. And so that's what we're doing. Actually, that's what we're doing because you guys are praying and, and giving and going with us through your prayers and gifts. So thank you very much. Bela. Okay. Thank you. Good morning, Mitchell Berean. Always wanted to say that. I didn't hear it back. Good morning. All right, awesome. Well, we are Brad and Kay Grote. We are in Monroe, Iowa at the Gateway Church. We were called in September to go out there and take the gospel to Jesus. And you might ask, well, what qualifies you to do that? Well, nothing really other than God called us and he said, hey, you go out and do this. And he said, I'll be faithful to you. So... We took the call. We answered the call in September. Um, and it's a long story. If you want to learn a little more about the details of it, catch us after the service. But we're, we've been out there since September, and we're just working on building a faithful little church. They had like seven people in the church when we started, seven or eight. And it was a little church that's, that was going along and struggling for, I don't know, the last 12 or 15 years and they come to a conclusion that they wanted to hire somebody and get somebody in there they weren't doing regular communion they didn't have any bible studies they didn't have any men's or women bible studies and i'm going to let you let Kay tell you a little more about that but there were things that they didn't have that this church your church gave you we've been longtime members for about since 2010 and this church gave us the foundation it set us up to become disciples. This church called us to, to, God called us out there from this church because we had some tools, a few of life experiences. And we put that together to work and somebody saw something faithful in us and called us and we prayed to God and God said, yes, go. So we listened. So we were called. We listened. We were obedient and we received some amazing blessings because of it. 
And it's been wonderful. And I could sit here and tell you today just how many wonderful blessings. Again, catch us after church. We'll tell you what those are. But had we not answered that call that this church, your pastors, Mitchell Berean, prepared us for, we would have missed all the blessings. And the blessings that we're receiving are just phenomenal. And I want you, and I challenge you, that if you are being called to do something in this church, if you have stepped up to lead or somebody has called you, God has called you to step up and lead, step up and take that call. God has so much more in store for you than just filling a seat in this, in this church. And I know there's a bunch of you that are plugged in, but I want to encourage you that if God's laying something on your heart that you just want to go out and serve, answer that call because it's his call. Your church is preparing you to do those things. They call us in Matthew 28, as Seth said in his prayer, to, to take the gospel to all the nations. We're nobody special. And I'm going to use Giles' words. God calls, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And so with that, that's what we're doing. We're nothing special in all humility and all humbleness. We thank you. We thank this church and its organizations and its members and its leaders that gave us the tools and the talents we needed. With that, I'll let Kay speak a little. Hey, as Brad mentioned, when we went out to Iowa, uh, it was a very small church, including us, there was seven. <laughs> and uh, not any formal uh, experience other than what we were equipped with right here in Mitchellbury and being life group leaders, um, being part of men's group, leading women's groups. That was our equipping. We got it right here in your church, as many of you are also receiving that same kind of equipping. So basically what we did, we just took those five people plus us, make seven, and, and treated that little church like our life group. We loved them. Uh, we modeled to them what has been modeled to us from Mitchell Berean. So it can be done. From, from those five, they remained so faithful. And we started a men's Bible study. We started a women's Bible study, started conducting monthly communion. Again, that was modeled right here in your home church. And we gave them a consistency. We gave them a solid foundation. And uh, people in town, other churches or other people from, from other churches started seeing there's a little bit of life at that little bitty church. Monroe is about the size of Mitchell. There's five other churches from larger denominations. For a couple of weeks, ours was the only one that was open whether because of a snowstorm or because of COVID, our little church was the only one that had the doors open. Since September, we have held the doors open and uh, the, the town notices. From the church now, from Gateway Community Church, we have an effort of prayer. We have a group of mothers that are meeting now uh, regularly to pray over the issues that are starting to come down the pike from the Iowa State Legislature much what, what's happening in the Nebraska state legislature, all over the nation, really, of anti-Christian, let's just call it what it is, anti-Christ issues that they want to teach in the children, teach in our schools. You've got to keep that covered in prayer. I don't care if you're in Nebraska. I don't care if you're overseas. I don't care if you're in a small hut and in, in a jungle. You've got to keep these issues covered in prayer. 
So that's what we're finding out. Part of our mission is in Iowa. Folks, you all are on mission. You all are equipped to do something if you've accepted the truth of Jesus Christ. So I just want to encourage all of you, Brad and I want to encourage both of you, because of our obedience, because of the modeling that we have received from Mitchell Berean, um, we now have, we can honestly say that we have doubled the number in our church. We're up to 15 now, <laughs> um, regularly. And for Easter service, we also issued a special invitation, and we tripled our, our numbers. Then we had 21, so we were thrilled. It's all God. It's not us. So you are on mission, whether you're a young mother and, and you're praying over your baby or or you're out there working, or if you're an older man or woman investing in the lives of, of people around you, you are on mission. Uh, do what God has called you to do where you are at and walk it out. Thank you, Mitchell Berean. God bless. We love you, Mitch Berean. Thank you so much. Thank you. Love our missionaries. Love having them come back, those that can and share with us. And we need that uh, encouragement from them and to see what God's doing in their life. And with that, uh, there's a family in the church here that I've gotten to know since I came here, uh, as with many of you. But um, Jamie and Joni Warden uh, got to know them right, uh, pretty quickly. And Jamie was sharing about his son, who was an athlete, who got a college scholarship. He went off to play football. And then all of a sudden, something happened. And he had a radical uh, interaction with Jesus. And all that changed. And so I've gotten a chance to get to know Luke a little bit. And I've wanted to have him come over and preach. He's over in Fort Collins. And is just doing some cool stuff. God's raised him up. And uh, he's on mission um, he's reaching people around him, and so I thought this would be a neat time. Months ago, I uh, tried to put together a time, and I thought this would be good. Um, as we talk about being a church on mission or being a missional church, one of the aspects of that is just that life-on-life -life connection and interaction, and Luke's doing that, and so uh, glad that you're able to come and share with us this morning, right? Would you guys join me? I just want to pray over Luke uh, before he preaches. God, thanks so much for uh, the way you call each one of us to follow you, first of all, uh, to just experience your salvation. And then you call us to continue to grow, uh, to understand who you are, to have our life uh, changed and transformed by you. And then you call us into service and you call us to be involved in your work. And so, Father, I thank you for the way that's happened in Luke's life and the way that that calling is very clear and the way you're moving in him and through him. I pray you'd speak to us as a church through him and just through what you're doing in his life and the way that you're using him. So God, speak through him to us today, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, John. Yeah, I'm appreciative and excited to be with you guys here this morning. Um, and just want to pick off a little bit what uh, John was speaking about, just in my testimony of growing up here in Scotts Bluff, growing up in the area. And I grew up with very godly parents. I grew up in a um, Christian elementary school. I actually got to see uh, one of the teachers who taught me um, back then, last night, um, speaking. And, and I say this in the nicest way possible, but the gospel was kind of shoved down my throat and in my face um, growing up, and it was a great thing. But um, I never really owned what Christ was doing in my life or, or doing around me. And I got to college and was very into sports and was just going down a road that, that wasn't good. And I found myself in my dorm room reading a book that was given to me by my pastor in, in um, high school, Pastor Jake Roberts, and it was a book called Disciples Are Made, Not Born. And there was one key scripture 
in there that really brought me to my needs and brought me to the, to the Lord. And it's Luke 9, 23 and 24. And it says that Jesus um, looked at them all. He was preaching to a lot of people. And he says, if anyone wishes to follow me, he must deny himself and pick up his cross daily and come after me. That whoever desires to save his life would lose it, but whoever would lose his life for my sake would find it. And I found myself in that moment really being a fraud. I had been a fake Christian of my whole life. That I had fooled myself. I had not lost my life for Jesus Christ. I was still trying to save it. I was still trying to do my sports, live my way, do my thing. And I had never surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And in that moment, I asked the Lord um, to take my life, to whatever that meant. I didn't really know what, what it would look like to be all out for Jesus Christ, but I asked him um, if he would do that. And he delivered me. He delivered me from sin. He delivered me from my pride. He delivered me um, from my ego. Trust me, I could still deal with those things, but there was a deliverance. There was a change in my heart. There was a change in my mind that happened when I called upon the Lord. And after that, I just felt this heavy weight in my heart um, to reach out to those who didn't have the same um, privilege and the same opportunities that I had growing up. There was a lot of people on my football team, guys who grew up who never heard the name of Jesus, who never went to church, who never were in places that they, church wasn't even available. The gospel wasn't even um, ready for them to listen to. And I just felt that this heavy burden and call my life to just dedicate my life to those who were less fortunate in the way of the gospel and having a dad who was in their life and having a mom who prayed over them and that I would devote my life to sharing the gospel with them. I mean, 1 Corinthians 9, 16 is a, is a scripture I think captured this well and a scripture I want to kind of use as a foundation for this morning. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16, he says this, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And the question I have for you and the question I've pondered um, preparing for this sermon is, is this heart in you? Is there a heart in you that says, woe is me if I don't get to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes when we talk about missions and we talk about discipleship, it almost becomes an obligation of like, oh man, I should do that because it's in the Bible and the pastor's talking about it and we've talked about it for a month, so I probably should do something in regards to missions. But when we look at the Apostle Paul, that's not, what, that's not what he was saying. He was saying, woe is me. It's like cursed. Cursed is me if I do not get to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was a privilege. It was an opportunity that Paul had as an apostle to go out and preach the gospel. And I believe with all my heart, this heart is available for all of us in the room today. Each one of us could have this heart. Each one of us, Jesus Christ could put this heart in you. I believe that Jesus Christ has been putting this heart in me to go and take the gospel to those who do not have it. But how do we get that heart? How does that heart get formed in us? We're going to talk about that today. But before we do, I want to talk just a little bit about the basics of missions and what I've learned in doing missions in Fort Collins. And the first thing is found in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. If you want to turn to that scripture with me, you can. I think it'll be on the screen. Kind of like reading out of my Bible, though. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He says this. He says, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. There's kind of a lot of words there, but basically what he's saying is don't compare yourself. And I believe that there's one thing or there's a couple things we're going to talk about, but one of the main things that chokes out Christian missions is comparison. 
as you're looking at other people, maybe you're even comparing yourself with yourself. But either way, it says here in the word that it's unwise. And what it does when we compare ourselves amongst ourselves, it creates two different classes of people. Either you're comparing yourself with people around you and you think you're better than them because you're doing more missions, you're reading your Bible more, you're more plugged into your church. Or you look around and you don't feel like you're doing as much as the people around you. And so you feel inferior and you feel guilty and you feel, feel shameful. And I, I usually, I like to preach with smaller groups, kind of in houses and different things, so I can get some interaction. So keep wanting to ask questions, but I don't think we can probably do that this morning. But when you think about this, you know, how often have you partaken in missions or have you partaken in a Bible study or whatever it is, and you kind of felt crappy about going because you felt like you had other things you wanted to do. And if you didn't go, you kind of felt crappy about not going because you didn't feel as spiritual as you were as if you were there. And there's just kind of this tug of war that either way, we don't have a fire. We don't have a passion in us to actually go out and serve Christ and share the gospel. I believe a lot of this comes from comparison. We're going to look at three things that I think can really help us get rid of comparison in our heart, in our life. The first thing is what is missions about? Again, I wish to do a little like go around the room and have some, some answers here. But what is missions actually about? And it may be a simple answer, but it's all about God. It's about his glory. It's about him being known amongst the nations. But this is really important because sometimes we think missions is about my gift or about my vision or about my passion. And it's not, that God can use those things. But that's not what it's about. It's not about us. It's actually about him. And there's a great story with this in the Gospel of Matthew is John the Baptist is talking to some Pharisees. And these Pharisees feel very entitled. They feel like they are, you know, the children of God. And, and, and they, they think that they are children of Abraham is the thought that's in their mind. And John the Baptist says to them, don't think of yourselves as children of Abraham, for God could raise up children of Abraham from these stones. See, God can raise up his people from stones if he needs to, that we are significant because God makes us significant, but God isn't waiting in heaven hoping that Luke Warden gets out in the streets and shares the gospel. He's not waiting on me to fulfill his will, that God will fulfill his will through the power of his Holy Spirit and through his scriptures. Hear crazy stories in the Middle East of people who have never heard the gospel and like Christ appears to them in a dream or an angel literally visits them, that God doesn't need me to reach everyone, but it's my privilege. It's our opportunity that we miss out when we don't go on mission for Jesus Christ. And I think we've heard that from the, the, the missionaries that have given us testimony. The second thing I think that gets rid of comparison is realizing that God has put a mission right in front of you specifically as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to see this played out. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, each one of us, God has, we are literally his workmanship. As a disciple of Christ, he has made you, he has formed you. We are um, the clay, he is a potter. He's made you into a vessel. You're his workmanship. But for what purpose? It says for good works. That God, before the foundation of the world, has good works that are set out for his church. And that includes you, and that includes me. I think a lot of times we can feel like we have to go overseas, or we have to move states, or we have to do certain um, kind of crazy things in order to be in the mission of God. But see, God has put things, he knew where you were going to live. He knew you were going to be in Scottsdale, Nebraska, or he knew you were going to be in Mitchell, Nebraska, or wherever you were living. And he put things right in front of you to be your mission. 
And as a quick example of this, when I first was in Fort Collins and um, I was spending a lot of time at the homeless mission and I would go um, Sunday morning specifically and eat breakfast with some people um, down at the mission and just would get to know people. And we'd go to the park, we'd play football, just different stuff. And um, every Sunday morning, I'd go down, eat breakfast and ask people, hey, you know, you want to come to church? And after a while, it was kind of the same group of people who were kind of interested and they would come to church here and there. And, but one morning... I asked them, hey, you guys want to come to church? And there was a girl who was probably five, six feet kind of off to our group. And she said, hey, can I come with you guys? So I said, sure, you can come with us. Well, I came to find out that she was heavily addicted to methamphetamine. She had lost all, I think at that time had four kids. Um, she had lost parental rights of all four of her kids. Um, she was out on the street and her husband had kicked her out of the house. She'd been on the streets for about six months. And that morning, she gave her life to Jesus Christ. Within three months, she was completely um, sober and overcome her addiction of methamphetamine, which is unheard of if you know anything about that drug. Um, and about nine months later, she had custody of all of her kids. And I saw her um, about two weeks ago. And um, she just actually had a newborn, same age as uh, Sarah and I, who's eight months. And she's the only um, believer in her family. And she's a light not only to her immediate family, but to cousins, to nephews, people all across Fort Collins of what Jesus Christ has done in her life. And the, the the point of that story was that was by the grace of God. That was a work that he had set out before time even began. He knew that I would run into Tiara um, outside the mission and that God would transform her life and that she would be a light to her children. And, and when we go out and we're just eternally minded, when we're actually putting God first and we're actually thinking, man, woe is me if I can just, if I don't get to share the gospel, God will put those opportunities right in your path where you kind of just stumble into them. And if, <laughs> I wish you guys could have seen me that morning because I woke up late, it was cold, I was tired, I didn't want to go. Like my attitude wasn't necessarily the best going down to the mission that morning, but God used that um, to change your life. And if, if that's the only reason um, I was in Fort Collins, that would be worth it. I mean, just for, to see that one person totally transformed by Christ, it, it's unlike anything you'd ever witness. And I just believe God has that for every believer. If you're a believer and you've never led someone to Christ, I challenge you to pray about that every morning, that God would just give you the opportunity to lead someone to Christ and to see them born again by his spirit. The third thing that I think can really get rid of um, comparison in our life is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, first, let's start in verse 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught to God, from, by God to love one another. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a, lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. That you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. I love this scripture because if you, if you study the church at Thessalonica, they were a very powerful church. They weren't a huge church, but that their testimony, it said, had gone out to all the surrounding regions of this part of the world, that they were a very powerful church. And Paul's encouragement to them wasn't, hey, man, you need to go out and do more miracles. You need to go out and preach better sermons. You need to go out and do street evangelism. What's his encouragement to them? That you aspire to lead a quiet life that you mind your own business, that you work hard with your hands, that you have a good testimony to those who are outside. Those are practical things that, like it or not, everyone in this room is a part of. 
And so your mission is truly right where you're at. Your mission starts with your family. It, treat, it starts with how you treat your spouse. It treat, starts with how you treat your coworkers, how you respond to the boss that you don't like. Those are the things that are the testimony that God will use for you to be on mission for him. That we don't have to go do something crazy. One uh, fun story I actually haven't t- told yet, but... Um, Starbucks was kind of my office for a while because the church I was working with didn't have an office. So I'd go to Starbucks, I'd read my Bible. And um, one day, um, I just got to know all the baristas because, um, yeah, I'd go in there a lot. And um, Ryan was one of the baristas. And he asked me one day what I was reading. And I was actually in Revelation and um, was reading about um, the Ephesians losing their first love. And so we ended up getting this conversation about what I was reading. And I didn't know it at the time, but he was going through a crisis um, and his, his faith, kind of a crisis in his life. And long story short, he was um, one of my groomsmen in my wedding about a year and a half later, um, just from, this, from Starbucks getting in the word together and pretty soon we're roommates and then pretty soon he was in my wedding. And, and there's just this aspect of he was at work, I was technically at work and just got in a conversation and pretty soon God starts to do a work in his life. And the great thing, he, he did a work in my life through Ryan as well, that it's not all about us just helping other people, but as we get in that investment, the people we are helping will help us and we will eventually find people also to invest in our lives. So as we look at mission, this is really what it's about. Number one, it's all about God. Number two, um, he's putting things in front of you. You don't really have to look for them. And number three, they're probably going to happen in your ordinary life. They're probably, they could happen if you go on a missionary trip, and that's great. But for most of us, it's going to happen in our ordinary life, in ordinary ways of how God will use us. And so the question for us this morning, question for you, is are you on mission? Um, and how do you know if you're on mission? And how do you know if you're doing a good job? How are you measuring your mission? When I played football, um, after spring ball, they would always ask us, you know, how do you think spring ball went? How did spring football go? And I could say, hey, it went great. But if my, if my evaluation said it didn't go great, if we looked at the film and we looked at the, um, my routes and we looked at all these different things, if the evaluation said I did poor, well, it didn't really matter what, what I said I did. And so for us, how do you evaluate if you're on mission, how do you evaluate if you're doing a good job? Because we just heard about missionaries who are on their way to teach people to read the Bible and their child dies. Man, is that how you're evaluating if if missions is going well, is if you're living your best life now, if things are going well, we're probably gonna be pretty disappointed because a lot of times missions are very hard and a lot of times we do experience a lot of suffering. And the Bible tells us to walk by faith rather rather than sight. And so how are you measuring your success, how are you measuring your growth as a Christian? I really challenge you as we look into the word of how Paul um, gets this heart on fire for the gospel, that's one measuring tool. But two, it's really just the word of God in general. As you read the word of God, is the word of God becoming life in your heart? Are you seeing the word of God come to life as you go to work, as you um, are with your family? That the word of God is our guide. The word of God is our measuring tool. And by the grace of God, he will help us grow day by day. But if we're looking for good feelings, if we're looking around at our best friends or our neighbors, even those in our church, as our measuring tool, we will be very, very disappointed and most of the time discouraged when it comes to mission. But if we allow the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God to propel us, we will definitely have a different type of motivation when it comes to missions. So I want to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and revisit this um, heart that Paul had for the gospel. If you would turn there with me. (laughs) 
In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, he, he says this. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that me first, Jesus Christ, might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now, I think most of you are probably familiar with the testimony of the Apostle Paul that he was once Saul, a persecutor of the church. He became a missionary and apostle for the Lord Jesus Christ. But his testimony here says it, he was a pattern for those who would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's us, that we could look at Paul and see his life as an actual example. And we look at the life of Paul, one moment he is literally killing Christians, he is throwing Christians in prison, and the next moment he's preaching the gospel. He's a total murderer, now he's a missionary, and that's the type of deliverance that God has for you and me, that Jesus says he who's been forgiven much loves much. See, when you've really been forgiven, when you've really been delivered by Jesus Christ, man, you, you've got to tell people. I mean, you have to. And I, I don't know if you, I hope you've experienced that. But when Jesus Christ has done that work in your life and you serve a living God who's delivering you from sin, there's this passion that you've got to let other people who are captive free too. Paul knew what it was like to be in bondage to bitterness. He knew what it was like to be in bondage to hatred. You know, else Paul knew what it was like to be in bondage to was dead religion, that Paul was a Pharisee. He knew all about the Bible. He could tell you, I'm sure he could wow all of us with his Old Testament knowledge before he was saved. But Paul knew what it was like to think that he was serving God. In reality, he was killing God's people. He was that blind and he knew what it was like to have the blinders taken off and to see the glory of God and to see the testimony of Jesus Christ. My question for you and for me, do, do you know what that's like? Do you know what it's like to be enslaved to lust, to be enslaved with bitterness, to be enslaved with selfish ambition, and for God to deliver you from that? I'm not saying we don't struggle. I'm not saying there aren't things that may tempt us, but that bondage, that slavery is gone. See, there's the two, if you read the book of Matthew, an angel appears to Joseph, and there's two things. The first two things um, that we know about our Savior, this angel says to Joseph, First, he says that, she would, that um, Jesus would be born of the Holy Spirit through Mary. So not, don't get rid of Mary because she hasn't been sleeping around. She's going to be um, conceived by the Holy Spirit. But the second thing he says is he says to name him Jesus for he will deliver his people from their sin. Doesn't say necessarily deliver them from hell. Doesn't necessarily say to make them happy. He says to deliver them, to release them from their sin. That this power of the gospel, this heart on fire, this woe is me, if I don't preach the gospel, it's because I know what it's like to be dead, and now I know what it's like to be alive. I know what it's like to be blind, and now I know what it's like to see. But without that deliverance, man, it, it's an obligation. It's just a checklist. It's like, I mean, you can look at almost any um, religion, and it's all about getting to heaven by doing these things. If we're not careful... Man, evangelical Christianity can come, become very similar to a lot of those things that we have this checklist that we feel like we're doing pretty good. But it's about this transformation that Jesus Christ does in the depths of our heart. And it's really cool because the, the word saved, you know, saved has kind of become a buzzword. Um, I kind of found myself saying, you know, I got saved in college or I got saved doing this. And it kind of has become a buzzword. But in the Greek, it's a really cool word because th what this word means is I was delivered Sometime in the past, I was delivered from sin. I was delivered from death. It also means I'm being delivered right now. 
And because I was delivered then, because I'm being delivered now, I know I will be delivered at the day of judgment. How, I, how my, my salvation is secure isn't because I was on fire for Jesus for six months or because I said a prayer, but my salvation is secure because of the work and the grace of Jesus Christ that was working in me then, it's working in me now, and I know it's going to work in me in the future because he is the author and he is the finisher of my faith. See, we can't be content with... Um, Drowning in our sin. Don't be content with that. Jesus Christ loves you. He wants to deliver us. And he wants us to have that testimony of what it's like to be set free from our sin. And we all want to be soldiers for Christ. We want to wage war on the devil. But we cannot wage war for God until we first wage war on our own personal sin. Nothing chokes out our mission for Christ like sin. Man, especially hidden sin. Bible says that everything that's been, that's hidden needs to be exposed by the light. And when something's exposed, there's freedom. We kind of hate it because we're embarrassed and we feel guilty. But when something's exposed by the gospel, man, it will bring you freedom. And when that freedom comes, I guarantee you, you will have a fire for missions. And so if you're struggling with during this month of like, man, I don't really, I'm not that excited about missions. I'm not that excited about serving in the church. The first place to start is your own personal sanctification. Get plugged in with this discipleship John's been talking about. Um, get, get plugged in um, if, if, if you're um, yeah, just desiring that personal growth with the discipleship, the first chair, second chair, third chair, fourth chair, whatever chair you kind of feel like you're in from what's been taught. Um, see how you can move forward. Talk to the pastors here because that personal sanctification is what's going to drive you way more than watching a cool podcast and getting hyped for like a week and then be in the same place a week from now. But it has to start from your heart and be transformed. As that happens, you will have the power for the ministry. And the last piece of this is, you know, Romans 8, 11. You can turn there if you want, um, but it's a short scripture. What it says is, it says, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And that's the other thing I'd just like you to ponder is, do you really believe, if you're saved today, that the spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, the Holy Spirit of God that was over the breath of the water um, in creation is actually inside of you right now. And if you believe that, you may not know the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and that's right. God's gonna meet you where you're at as you step out into faith. And I know when I was first saved, I had read the Bible, not the whole thing, just like a couple books of the New Testament, like once or twice. And I was like quoting scripture to my friends. I, I don't even know if I'd even read it that the Holy Spirit was just speaking through me because I was willing to step out in faith. That if you're willing to step out in faith, God will meet you wherever you're at because the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. So as we look at what missions is, it's about God. Um, as we look at, he's laid out these works in front of us beforehand that we should walk in them. As we look at happens in our everyday life with those around us. As we look at what deliverance and salvation really means and how that should bring freedom and passion into our heart. The last thing I want to look at is in 1 John um, 4.20, and we'll wrap up with this scripture. It's one of the challenge, most challenging scriptures in the Bible for me personally. It's 1 John 4.20 and 21. It says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. I want us just to think for a moment about, we all have this in our life. Maybe it's a tough coworker. Maybe it's someone in this church that rubs you the wrong way. Um, maybe it's a family member. 
God is telling us this morning, it's impossible to love him if we can't love our brother. It's impossible to say we love God more than we're willing to love the people who are unlovable. In 1 Corinthians, we're going to come back to this scripture, but in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, if, you're, um, if you can turn there with me. says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Man, I love that scripture, not because it lifts off a bunch of sins, which are true, but I love verse 11. It says, and such were some of you. See, Paul was talking to a group of people who were fornicators, who were sodomites, who were homosexuals, but yet the, the Holy Spirit of God changed them, and they were no longer that person. See, the person we feel like, man, they're hard to love, maybe they're going to be that person a year from now that says, man, you were the bad boss. Man, you were the fornicator. You were that person. But now, by the grace of Jesus Christ, you're different that you've been washed, you've been justified. Man, this word justified is a great word. I, if you want to do a cool Bible study, just word search, justified in the New Testament. And what he's talking about is, imagine if the 10 worst things I had ever done were projected on this screen right now. You knew, not even the worst done, but the worst things I'd ever think about. Man, I would be embarrassed, but, but you all would probably be embarrassed, and you would look at me differently. And imagine if each one of us kind of got our turn up there, um, we'd all would probably be a little squeamish by the end of the service. But this word justified means that by grace, through faith, through the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm seen as literally the righteousness of Christ before God. No matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've done it, if you've truly repented and believed in Jesus Christ, you're seen as actually perfect before God. That the whole point of the cross was substitution, that Jesus Christ took what I deserved. I deserved the wrath of God and eternal punishment. But Jesus Christ took an eternal punishment. He didn't just die physically, but he offered up his soul as an eternal sacrifice for you and for me. And because of that, by the Holy Spirit, I'm washed and I'm clean and I'm justified before Jesus Christ. And when I think about what Jesus Christ suffered in order to accomplish that. You know, John 13, 34, and 35 says that we should love others. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, to love others exactly as I have loved you. And how did Jesus love me, man? He experienced betrayal. He experienced suffering. Um, he experienced, I, Jesus looked over Jerusalem and says he wept. That they were like sheep without a shepherd. That he tried to gather them in like a hen does her chicks and they wouldn't listen. That we think, man, we've experienced depression and, and discouraging times. I'm not saying you haven't, but there's nothing that you've experienced that Jesus Christ didn't experience. On the cross, he became a curse and was completely separated from the Father, saying, my, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus has experienced, there's no type of suffering that you've experienced that Christ hasn't. And I challenge you, man, those, in those low points of suffering to rely on that, to just to put your heart before the Lord knowing that he can sympathize with you. But also in loving others, man, Jesus loved you. He went through all of that suffering, the worst suffering ever, when you were unlovable, when I was unlovable. So how can I receive the love of Jesus Christ when I was a sinner, but yet not do that for other people? How can I not give that away? 
And as God has called me to reach those who do not know the gospel, don't have access to the gospel, the thing about Scott's Bluff is I know it's kind of a nice town and things, but there are people in this city who are stuck in, in cycles of addiction. People in this city who are stuck in cycles of sexual abuse, cycles of homelessness, cycles of crazy things. And we can, I know this church is kind of outside the city, but we can get into our lives and not even recognize that stuff. And maybe some of you guys have experienced that and God's delivered you from that. And I'm telling you, how can we say we love God and see people and not invest in their lives, see people in total bondage to sin and not invest in them? Because that's what God's looking for. He's not looking for superstar preachers. Matthew 7 says there'll be guys who prophesy and do wonders and miracles and they stand before God and they think they're gonna get all this praise from God and God says, I don't even know you. Depart from me, you practice lawlessness. He's not looking for you to be a superstar preacher, but he's looking for you to love those who are unlovable. He's looking for you to lay down your life for those who will reject you, for those who will treat you poorly. That's what God is looking for us to do. And I promise, man, there's so much opportunity in this city. Not only is there opportunity in our day-to-day lives, but I just challenge you, go, go looking for the broken. There was a time where it was snowing outside in Fort Collins, and I'll close with this story. And I was just driving around Fort Collins because breakfast wasn't open with the mission, and I was just driving around Fort Collins. It was snowy, just looking to see if there was anybody out. And there was a guy who I was walking by himself. I pulled over to pick him up, and it's a guy I knew. that He was living homeless, and we played football together a couple times in the park, and um, he had been to Satan worshiping. He had been into drug rings in Fort Collins, and this guy gave his life to the Lord that morning at church that, again, it was just kind of wandering about, and this guy's just on the side of the road that, man, if you're looking for it, if you're asking God to lead you into the mission, it's costly. It hurts. It's, it's hard. Um, it'll take sacrifice. It will take us to let go of maybe some of our hobbies that we don't want to let go of to actually invest in people. But I'm telling you, it's worth it. And I believe if Jesus Christ has actually impacted our hearts, we'll want to do it. At first, you'll have some resistance. I've experienced it. But if you, man, it will light your heart on fire if you'll just step towards it. So as we close this morning, um, and the worship team will, will close us out, um, I just ask you to consider, you know, have you, have you lost your life for Christ? Don't fool yourself. I fooled myself for a long time. Honestly, there's no shame in it. It's better to recognize it now and really step towards that than it is to continue um, to fake it. And two, if you have been delivered from Christ, what, what are you doing with that? And if you've been stagnant, get involved. There's so many opportunities in this church to encourage you and to spur you on in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And finally, um, that you'd really consider what it means to love your brother. And you'd really consider what it means to truly invest in somebody, not for charity. Um, I had a homeless guy tell me one time that he despised the church because they treated him um, like cattle. You came in, got your name tag, got your thing of soup, and then you're out the door. That people are looking for real relationships. And we can't, everyone can't save everyone, but all of us, man, if we invested in one person, so like, what, 100 people here, 150 people here, something like that? If we all invested in one person, Scott's Bluff isn't that big. Man, we could cover some ground in the next year or two. So I just pray that you would consider these things, and I know that um, the pastors here will continue to lead you guys into discipleship, into evangelism um, in this season. So I just want to pray for us and turn it over to the worship team. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. God, I thank you for what an opportunity that it is um, to know you. Jesus, you said this is eternal life that we may know you, the only true God and and your son whom you'd sent. 
Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would stir up a fire in us, God. If there's anyone here, Lord, who's in bondage to sin, God, that they would find prayer, that they would find a pastor, Lord, they would find just a friend. Today, Lord, today is a day of salvation. God, that they would be delivered. Lord, I know that you love them. I know you have the power to deliver them. God, and I know that you're enough. God, you're enough in the suffering. Lord, so I just pray that you would encourage this church, Father, that you would have just a, a spirit of freedom or a spirit of deliverance, God, that we could be a holy people, a joyful people, and a people that would say, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, so we love you, we thank you, and we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen.